We're so thankful for our community of supporters that makes Justice Special possible. This season of Justice Special is brought to you by Kids Crossing, a private foster care agency created by foster parents for foster parents. So Rachel, I've mentioned before on our podcast what an amazing support our home coordinator, Nicole Barnett, has been to my family on our foster care journey. Yes, tell us a little bit more. What does that look like for you all? Well, Nicole and I actually got the chance to sit down and chat about her role. So I'll let you hear from Nicole herself. So my role as a home coordinator, it can be so many things. I wear many hats. Part of my job is to make sure that the foster parents are following state and county rules, also to be a support. So be that shoulder to cry on, be the sounding board when foster care gets really rough, which it does, um, when the kids are making me crazy, or even just be there to encourage and support in whatever way I can, letting you know you guys are doing an amazing job. Filing all the fun paperwork, keeping files on the kids, finding those resources for kids when they need certain and specific things, whether it's therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, and extracurriculars too. That's important as a kid to have sports to play or gymnastics or arts and crafts, things like that. I think the big thing that resonates with me is So our founder, Jan, something her and her husband would say was, keep your eye on the child if everything else will fall into place. And that is kind of how I see my role is you as the foster parent, keep your eye on the kid and I will make sure everything else is covered. It's great to hear that we have people like Nicole supporting kids in care and their families. I couldn't agree more with you. And Nicole has even physically shown up at our home during difficult times. And she's just been an incredible support. Kids Crossing has four locations across Colorado and Denver, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and La Junta. Learn more at kidscrossing.com and tell them just a special sent you. I never thought I could foster. I always thought it's too hard. My heart will be broken. I can't do it. Welcome to Just a Special, the place to learn more about foster care from diverse perspectives. I'm Natasha, a foster mom. And I'm Rachel, a mentor to kids in care. Today's episode, we want to talk about the importance of meeting a kid where they're at through the use of creativity and being creative within our boundaries. Right. And our guest is Nicole. She's a trial paralegal by trade and an unpartnered foster parent. And she actually sees many positives in being a single foster parent on this journey. Her family is also very involved in her foster parenting, and her home has a Hispanic flavor. My dad is from Cuba originally, so I'm half Cuban. Spanish music is played in the home. I cook Spanish food. In my parenting, I have found that I speak more Spanish to the kids, just teaching them various words and definitely teaching them the music and how to dance. Nicole's first experience of foster care was through being a guardian at Lightham. Natasha, can you explain a little bit more of what that is? 
So a guardian at litem or GAL or gal is a lawyer who legally represents a child in care's best interests and is basically their guardian who can make certain decisions that a foster parent doesn't have the rights to do or the child's biological parents cannot while the kid is in care. So Nicole was actually a GAL for several years before deciding to become a foster parent as a result of her guardian at litem experiences. I saw a lot of foster homes. Some of them were great and some of them weren't so great. And I just started thinking, I could do better. I can do better than some of what I'm seeing. And I'm only one person and one person can't change the whole world, uh, but one person can change someone's world. And that's kind of what started that pathway. So I know some people on the outside looking at would be like, okay, Nicole, you're a single lady, right? How are you going to do this? But what I love about you is you see all the positives too of being a single foster parent. Can you dive into what some of those are? Sure. I would say the biggest positive for me being a single foster parent is I get to make all of the decisions by myself. Um, And to me, that's a huge positive because there are so many people involved in my day-to-day life as a foster parent. And I have to consult with so many people, whether it's the children's guardian ad litem, the case management organization, attorney ad litems, therapists, teachers. There's just so many people that are involved. Not having to consult someone else on top of all of that, to me, is such a huge positive. And I'm really big on following my instincts and my gut instincts. I've done it my whole life, and it has served me well for the most part. And when I can sit within myself and in my quiet space, I am confident in the decisions that I am making. That doesn't mean that I don't reach out to people or don't ask for other people's advice or opinions. But at the end of the day, I get to decide what I feel is in the manifest best interest of the child that I know best. They are living with me 24-7. I'm involved in every aspect of their life. So to be able to make the decision for them alone is such a huge positive for me. Yeah, It really resonated with me when you talked about listening to your gut, because I would say that took me quite a while to do as a foster parent. Similar to you, I was a first-time parent when I became a foster parent. So for the most part, I really did default to the professionals, right, on the team around me. And sometimes they would give some advice or some suggestions that in my gut, my gut instinct was like, no, I don't think that's the right thing to do in this situation. Or even in talking to my partner, right, and trying to co-parent, there'd be times where I would stuff down my gut instinct um, just because I'm like, hey, you know, maybe I don't know what's best. But at some point, like you're saying, you do rack up more hours with this child than anybody else on the team. And to be able to not push down your gut instinct and to learn when you need to fight and when not to fight, I think is a huge lesson that any foster parent needs to learn if they're going to be really effective. It is a huge lesson, and it's still something I deal with every day. I have to see the bigger picture and decide if this is a battle I need to fight. And if I have to fight it, what 
creative way am I going to employ to fight it? How am I going to get them to understand where I'm coming from? And a lot of times it resonates with other people when I can cite to, um, you know, consulting with a therapist or consulting with a professional about how to handle a situation in a trauma informed way. Because sometimes even the people that are in the system of care, they have so many other things going on and they can't hone in on that child in that moment with that behavior or that need. Um, And so they need me just as much as I need them to make this work and to partner with them. So being able to really kind of pick and choose which battles I fight and how I fight them. And I really have to sit down and think, am I doing this because it's something that I want? Or am I really doing this because I truly believe and feel it's in the child's best interest? Um, I always default to my guardian ad litem training. I was a gal first. So at the end of the day, the question I'm asking is what is in the child's best interest? And That has helped me so much to follow that kind of guiding principle in the way I'm making decisions. It doesn't mean that I'm always right. It doesn't mean that I always win per se, Um, but I still follow that principle. And I really feel like it helps me so much. No, I love that you're bringing it back to that child-centered focus because, you know, the savior complex is something we talk a lot about on this podcast. And it's really dangerous, right? To have an idea that like my, my way of living is the right way. Or like, I always know what's in the best interest for the child in my home. But I love how you're mentioning that all these decisions that you're making, they're not made in a vacuum. You know, you're asking advice of professionals, but at the end of the day, that gut instinct often can be the most right thing, right? Someone told me once like a gut instinct is experience and knowledge combining. Because I think too, as a foster parent, sometimes or oftentimes, right, we can get really triggered and it can be easy to make decisions that aren't rational or in the best interest of a child, but we're just kind of blindly going forward and only listening to our emotions, right? And not listening to that experience and knowledge that comes into play with the gut instinct. And so that's something that I've tried to do is really pay attention to how these feelings are showing up in my body because they're both strong feelings, but they show up in different ways. And So that's really beautiful to hear that that's something it sounds like that you've really been able to tap into because you talk about that gut instinct as that quiet place where you're able to go down under the emotions into a really calm place and really be asking that question, what's best for this child? Yes. And you are so right. I am triggered. My emotions are triggered. I'm still a human being. And I find myself saying that often. I am still a human who has emotions. And I am incredibly grateful to some of my licensing team um, because they know me well, because I've been through so much as a foster parent um, in the past year and a half. And they aren't afraid to say, hey, Nicole, you know, I think, you know, you're very invested emotionally. And, you know, let's think about this. And they are so right sometimes. And sometimes I need that check. I was just there two days ago. I'm very emotionally invested in these kids. And I did need a little bit of a, a of a gut check. And I did have to take a step back and think about it and kind of come out of that emotion and think about it 
logically and bring it back, like you said, to that child-centered focus. So I really appreciate that people around me understand that I'm very passionate about the kids in my home um, or my guardian ad litem kids or even kids I've met along the way. Um, They may not be in my home, but there are still things that I can do as a person to help these kids who don't necessarily have someone always advocating for them. Yeah, let's dive into what are some of those creative ways that you have advocated for kids? And I'd like to to also dive into a story of I know you had a teen boy in your home who really wasn't into school and you kind of really went through some out of the box ways to encourage him to do so. I have a 16-year-old that I absolutely adore. I just felt connected to him kind of instantly. He was here for a night. Um, he was kind of just an overnight placement and I connected with him so quickly and just kind of kept up with him. He ultimately did come to my home several months later. Um, and when he got here, he had not had a lot of traditional placements. So he spent a lot of time in, uh, group homes and so school was a challenge. And he loves video games and he aspires to be a gamer and to stream on YouTube and have a channel of his own. And I am all for it. I am all for kind of reaching those goals and helping them reach the goals. But school is important. He needs to finish school. And so that was really a struggle. And I had tried some more traditional ways, like let's get a tutor or I'll sit with you and I'll do all the work with you. Things were just not working. And so we were having uh, phone calls with the team on what we could do and how we could do it. Um, Ultimately, I had spent a lot of time watching this YouTuber with him. That is his favorite. And I reached out to this YouTuber. He has 8 million followers on YouTube. I reached out to him on all of the social media platforms and ultimately found a business email address for him as I was doing a deep dive on Google. I emailed him and he responded. It was a one in a million shot that he was even going to respond, but he did. Actually, one in 8 million, right? Technically. Yeah, one in 8 million. (laughs) Exactly. And I was so excited. I literally was jumping up and down because I was like, I can't believe I got him to respond. And he recorded a video and he sent it. And I can't remember the last time I was that excited, honestly, to kind of get something like that. Once I was able to show the teen and and give it to him, it was really the start of the shift. The video didn't make all the difference. It didn't change things overnight, but it started a conversation. And I think it started a conversation for two reasons. Number one, these kids need attachment. And showing him that I was willing to go to such a great length for something that he loved so much, I think showed him that I truly cared. And ultimately, he did start going back to school and it was constantly like, well, you know, 
he said this in his video and he made some good points. It resonated with him. The next step of things that we did was we signed an agreement um, that he had to draft and I was allowed to edit, um, which was essentially just a negotiation to go back to school. He had not been engaged for a very long time. And so there was some anxiety about returning and feeling like I can't jump into this with two feet right away. And it worked. Something else I did with him before I was able to reach out to the YouTuber is I had spoken with a fellow guardian ad litem. And in a conversation, she randomly mentioned that she had a cousin that travels across the U.S. for gamer tournaments. So I was able to set up a phone call with her nephew and with my teen to discuss kind of how he got into that, right? So one piece of it was getting him into school. And the other piece is, how do I help him achieve his goal? And so that uh, gamer gave him a bunch of tips. And my teen, afterwards, I saw he had been taking notes during the phone call. And, and those things resonated with him as well. It got him to read a little bit because he needed to read certain books about past gaming history. So I was able to use a few different creative ways to try to get him back into school. Um, honestly, it's still an ongoing challenge. It got him back into school and, you know, things went great for about five weeks. And, you know, there's a little bit of a backslide now, but I expect that um, with these kids. But it worked. It ultimately worked. And it gave us something to kind of bond over as well. I really love that because it really sounds like you're meeting him where he's at. And a lot of times it can be so hard for these kids who are such in survival mode to even be thinking about the future. And I think they can get really overwhelmed in terms of, you know, what even is that first step? So I love how you were just a bridge in helping him see, you know, here are my goals and here's how I can get there. And then helping him see that his dreams are even possible, right? Having somebody cheerlead and be like, you know, this isn't a stupid idea. Like you can do this, I think is huge. It is. You know, we've talked realistically about too, you know, that's a hard thing to get into. So what are some other things that you love that we can do? So we've talked about um, him taking culinary classes. He loves to cook. Um, he cooks in the home often, which I love. Um, and his food is really good. Um, it's also a way for him to connect with memories of his past and with his biological family, because a lot of the recipes and the things that he learned were from Biomom. So, and I don't even know if he realizes it. Um, but for me, I realized this is a way I can connect with him and with Biomom and kind of bridge the gap there as well. And it's, again, meeting him where he's at and not trying to be anything more than he needs in that moment. I have a nine-year-old that has a lot of attachment, um, I guess, you know, deficiencies maybe is the right word to use. Um, so there's a lot of work that goes into that with him. I was able to bring in, with the help of the case management team, an attachment-focused therapist 
that is one way that is a, a bit more creative. You know, somebody that's in my home working with him and with me. I have a seven-year-old that loves horses and has a very traumatic past. And I've been able to uh, put equine therapy in place for her. And I can't tell you how healing that has been for her and for myself because we do it together. And horses aren't really my thing. Um, but she loves it and her being able to teach me about the horses, which is something I don't know, has really helped us bond a lot. Really very recently, it's helped a lot. You know, I'm kind of starting to see the the fruits of the equine therapy labor. Yeah. Can you talk more about how healing it is for you? Because I love that you bring that up. And I think so much of foster care, if it's going to be done healthily, has to be mutual transformation. I think a lot of it is you have to allow the kids to also change you and to make you a better person. So yeah, can you dive into that a little bit more, the healing you've experienced as a foster parent? Definitely. Being a foster parent with these kids, it has really transformed me in that way. It has healed me in ways that I didn't even know were uh, hurting or broken or whatever the word you want to use. But it has helped me even grieve the loss of my grandparents, who I was incredibly close with. And so being able to teach them some of the things that my grandparents taught me or um, thoughts that they shared with me, I find myself teaching my children. And the gravity of that is never lost on me. Um, I have a sign in my room that says, follow your heart. And it was something, a philosophy that my grandmother always um, kind of instilled in me. And it's something that I instill in my children. And my seven-year-old asked if we could find her something similar to hang in her room. So she has the similar saying hanging up in her room. So kind of being able to bridge the gap of what I learned from my grandparents and also heal me when I was hurting so much at the loss of them has been so transformative for me. And they don't even know it, right? I hope that as they get older and you know we can have these conversations when they're adults, um, I can share that with them. I can tell them what they have taught me and how they have changed my life. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I would say something similar also happened to me that I really wasn't expecting. And I think too, what's so beautiful about foster care is the blessings that come or the good things that come are often so unexpected, right? And So unexpected. So unexpected. And it's just stuff you never could have imagined in a million years. And for me, I would say one of those things was my relationship with my own mother I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of pain about it. And in becoming a foster mom, it kind of gave me a new perspective on the struggles that she went through. And having that trauma-informed lens also, I think, was huge And that I was able to name some things in the relationship that I hadn't been able to name before. I just didn't have the vocabulary or the knowledge. I was able to look at her in a totally different way and see like this was somebody who did the best that she could you know, but she didn't always have that support. She didn't always have a strong community around her. 
And it just gave me, I guess, a lot more grace. And I was able to forgive in a way I don't think I would have been able to had I not been a foster parent. Um, just because you see more of that struggle, right? Of that day-to-day of parenting. I think that's really beautiful to hear you say that about the relationship with your mom and just kind of giving that situation more grace. Um, It's definitely brought me closer to my mom. My mom has really tried to understand trauma-informed ways. If I send her an article or if I send her something, she always listens. She has been incredibly supportive through this journey. It doesn't mean that the relationship has always been easy, but it's definitely given me a different view on the relationship with her as well. So I completely relate to you on that level. This season of Just as Special is brought to you by Kids Crossing, a private foster care agency created by foster parents for foster parents. So Natasha, foster parenting is no walk in the park, but what do you think is one thing that makes it a lot easier? A home coordinator, hands down, is my answer. And I actually got the chance to sit down with my own home coordinator, Nicole Barnett, from Kids Crossing, and she shared how Kids Crossing supports their foster families. I absolutely love my job, the people that I work with, and the culture that we have at Kids Crossing. We are not just a child placement agency. We are so much more. You develop this relationship with your families and really get to know them on a deeper level. And you become almost an extension of the family. And you very much feel that coming from Kids Crossing as well. The support that that Kids Crossing gives to families is more than just, oh, here, I'm going to, you know, make sure you're following the rules and we're going to file this paperwork. And great, we placed a kid in your home. It's, you know, around the holidays, we will do a huge holiday party and we will get, make sure that kids are getting gifts and make sure the family is supported as well. Um, This last year with COVID was pretty rough. And so we were sending like Grubhub gift cards. We were sending care packages from Amazon with arts and crafts and coloring books or puzzles or games to families trying to find things that maybe didn't need a lot of parental support or supervision where the kids could just do it on their own to hopefully give a break. We support our families in so many ways throughout the year. When a family gets a placement, if they need assistance with clothing or shoes or anything like that, we have had so many amazing donors that have given us items that we can then pass along to the family. Clothing, like all of that stuff adds up. And so whatever we can do to help support our families, Kids Crossing is doing. Wow, that's truly a lot. I can see how that all adds up. Right. And I can tell you from personal experience that Kids Crossing is truly supportive of their foster parents as well as diverse foster families. So what are you waiting for? Kids Crossing has four locations across Colorado in Denver, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and La Junta. Learn more at kidscrossing.com and tell them just as special sent you. Yeah, I know your mom plays a big role, right, in your role of foster parenting. Can you talk about that a little bit, about her role in the kids' lives that are in your home? So when I was first getting licensed, or even really before I kind of went down that path, I had conversations with my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister-in-law, because I knew that they were going to be my biggest supports. Um, So it was kind of everybody on board, all hands on deck. And ultimately, my mom and my dad were also background screened. 
so that the children could be um, with them, you know, kind of overnight and for longer than the normalcy periods allowed. Um, as a single parent, that was really important for me to have that backup um, with family and with people that the children knew. So if anything were to come up, they weren't having to go, you know, do respite care or things like that. Not that, you know, that is not a great resource, but I just wanted to have other resources in place. Then the pandemic hit. I was a foster parent for two months, maybe, before the pandemic hit and we were all in quarantine. So my mom played a very large role. She was in my home every single day for the past several months while the kids were going to school. She did school with them over Zoom while I worked. She took them to appointments sometimes if I had client meetings or um, I had court hearings or whatever, you know, may have occurred. Um, although I've been a single parent, there were moments where I very much felt like I was co-parenting with my mom which is something I kind of had to work through because to me, one of the biggest benefits is being able to kind of do it on my own. So that was sometimes a little bit hard, um, but I just had like a conversation with her about it and, you know, kind of defined some boundaries that worked for her and for me because it wasn't just about me. She needed to be okay with everything as well. She is just, she's played an incredibly large role and still does. Um, the kids are back in traditional school now, but I can't make it to pick them up because I'm stuck in traffic trying to get back home from the office. She will run and pick them up for me. Um, if somehow something has gotten double booked, she will help out with one of the bookings. I have a family calendar that she has access to so that she can kind of see what my schedule looks like. I wouldn't have been able to do this without my mom. And so no matter what the relationship looks like at certain times, she's always there and she's always helping and she's always doing this with me. So that has been huge. Can you describe a moment where you feel like either it became really evident that you guys needed to discuss new boundaries or, you know, just like one of those moments where there was maybe some difficulty. Because I think this is something that I would imagine other single parents could definitely learn from because you are going to be having other supports in your home, you know, really in your day-to-day -day life. Several of the moments have been similar um, where maybe she handled a situation in a way that I would not have. And I always describe it as her handling the situation in a traditional parenting way versus me trying to handle it in a trauma-informed way. And I'm not saying that I always handle it that way because I definitely default to that traditional parenting sometimes. Um, but that is where some of the divide has come in, um, where. I may be, hey, this isn't a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Let's let this go because it's not that necessary because right now we need to focus on the children bonding and attaching. And some of these other behaviors will go away once that bond and attachment is there. 
not that we don't tell the child this isn't okay or how you react or how you treat people. You don't let them know that it's okay. You tell them that it's not, but the way that it's handled is different. So I would say one of the things that um, I did is I have a calm corner in my house and I was listening to a book or a podcast or something where this was kind of talked about. And I was like, this is such a cool idea. And I was struggling with my nine-year-old at the time. So I called my mom and I reached out to her and I said, like, this is what we're going to do from now on. I'm going to create this calm corner in the house. This is what I learned. This is what I think is going to help. And this is how we're going to handle kind of a time out or a time in situation. We're going to give the child multiple chances in the calm corner and kind of talk them through things here. So that is kind of a moment where we had to figure things out. And I just had to say like, this is what we're going to do. This is why we're going to do it. And this is why I think it's best. And thankfully, she is gracious enough to uh, kind of follow along and is very willing to learn. But it doesn't mean that the conversations sometimes aren't difficult along the way. Um, But ultimately, being able to just have really open communication and say, hey, mom, we need to talk about this. I don't think now is the right time because both of us are kind of in our own emotions, but we need to talk about this. So kind of setting that boundary and saying we need to talk and let's figure out a good time to talk. And both of us being open to talking about it has been really key for those things. And really having a conversation and setting out boundaries of her being in the home when we were doing school. And it wasn't just me laying down their boundaries, right? Like she had boundaries of her own and just being able to communicate with each other again, not always perfect, not even close, but at the end of the day, having the communication um, and being able to say like, we need to talk about this and also intervening when things were going south. Me saying, we need to talk about this. Or her saying, I don't like the way this is going. We need to talk. That has been very helpful along this path. Yeah. What are some of those boundaries that she set in order to make this something that also works for her? Because I think too, a really important thing when you have kids in care in your home is to set those boundaries so you don't end up burning out. So I'm curious, you know, what are some of those boundaries your mom set that works for both of you really well? One of the biggest boundaries she set, um, and she was completely right, is when she's here and she's working with the kids at school, she needs to be the one that's handling everything. The kids need to know that there's a clear definition of when... Lala is here. That's what they call her. Um, When Lala is here, Lala is in charge because mommy is working. And I was not so good at that boundary sometimes, very honestly. Um, And there were a few times where she was like, hey, we agreed to this. You agreed to this. I need you to let me do this. And you need to do what you need to do. And I need to do what I need to do. 
and let's not let there be any confusion um, for the kids' sake. So that was something that a boundary that she set and something that, frankly, she had to remind me of often because I would want to interject. Like if I walked out to my kitchen to get a drink or lunch and something was happening and they were all at my dining room table, it was instinct for me to jump in. And I needed to not jump in in those moments. And she was right. That was the boundary. And I needed to respect it because if I want her to respect my boundaries, I need to respect hers. Yeah, I can totally imagine (laughs) that happening. And I can even imagine myself sort of doing that, like if my mom was over helping me out. And I think one of the hard lessons of foster parenting is just that everything is shared. Like as a foster parent, you have a specific role for a child. um, And yeah, you share responsibilities, you know, like it's so different than having a biological child where you can just call all the shots. There is that sharing that has to go on even in your home. I know sometimes therapy even happens in the home and all of that. There's just so much sharing that goes on. And I think that can be something that's hard to wrap your mind around. I also love that you learned that you needed to give yourself some patience, right? And learning that new skill, just as you had to give the kids in your home patience when they learn something new, like you talked about the teen going to school and then taking some steps back. But just to just keep that in mind, like this isn't always a forward path, you know, setbacks are inevitable. And when we're trying to juggle all sorts of things as a foster parent, I think setbacks can be really, really frustrating. Sometimes they can almost feel too like the straw that breaks the camel's back. So that's that's a really great reminder for me as I'm listening to you is to remember that those setbacks are are inevitable. Um, going back to, to that teen that was in care in your home and the aspiring sure. YouTuber. Um, so I know he <laughs> did have to leave your home at least for a certain amount of time. Um, was he, yes. has he been able to return or is the relationship um, continuing with him not living in your home? Kind of, can you walk us through that, what that looks like? That was incredibly hard for me. He is not back in my home yet, uh, but I see him speak with him every single day. Um, and at first it was really, really, really difficult. And he did not speak to me for several days. And I called the group home that he is at every two hours. And I checked on him. I felt so much guilt and I felt so terrible. Um, although I felt like it was what I had to do for the rest of the home in that moment. I could have done things differently, and I know that now, and I learned a very valuable lesson from that. Um, And ultimately, he accepted all of those things and owned those things that he also could have done things differently. But the best thing that's come of it is him saying he realized why I did it and why he's not in the home at the moment and realizing that I'm still there and I never left him because there's that immediate feeling of another person gave up and I never gave up and I will not give up. And when he told me he realized that, like I was incredibly emotional, Um, even emotional thinking back on it now. 
because he is a young man and that is a really hard thing to understand. And it's a really beautiful thing that he realized that I'm still here. And the relationship is, you know, hard at times um, because we're still working through feelings and those things. But I'm still here and he's still here and we still work with each other every single day. I see him almost daily. Um, he comes into the, he comes to my home a few times a week. Um, he interacts with the other kids. And so it's been really hard for me. I won't speak for him. I think it's been hard for him, but I know for me, it's been really hard. And it's been really eye opening for me. I try to send him messages like telling him he's brave because it is brave. Trusting another person after going through what he's been through is really, really hard. So I really try to take moments at the end of every day and acknowledge the brave thing he's done or the good thing he's done in that day. Even on a day when things are rough, even on days when he's mad at me, I still do it because he needs to know that even though he's not in my home, I'm still here. And it's okay to be mad at people and being mad at people or getting upset doesn't mean people leave. That's so, so huge. And I'm curious too. So is his treatment plan, is the goal for him to move back into your home at some point or is the goal really just to be, hey, I'm a, I'm still your family, you know, in this non-traditional way. I'm a support for you. Let's get your future as set up as best we can. No way. I want him back in my home <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> but I understand that I have to be patient and I have to really do what's best for him and all the kids that are in my home. But the plan is God willing for him to come back into the home and, and have a more traditional setting. Um, I have a sibling set of three that are, uh, three years old, seven years old, and nine years old. And they adore him. And they ask every day, is he here? Is he going to be here? Are they going to see him? They love when he's here. He plays with them. He's playful with them. And he really takes on that role of being a big brother. So that's been really awesome to see the way that they have bonded together. Yeah. Yeah. That does sound really beautiful. And also too, how you know, a lot of times with teens, it doesn't look as traditional. We can't expect people to learn how to be a healthy family member if they've never had the chance to do that. But that can take a lot of work. Like you're describing, like you can't always just throw a bunch of people together and it work out, which is also another really hard lesson too that I've had to learn in foster care is sometimes you can be at doing absolutely the best you can with everything that you have and it might not work out in the way that you want, at least in the moment. But it's so beautiful to see you not giving up and to just find that positive thing too about him every single day. What we pay attention to a lot of times is what we see more or blooms more. So I could imagine like him having that daily reminder of look at the amazing person that you are is so, so massive. 
because a lot of times these kids don't get that. And anytime that there's been child abuse, there's shame that a child carries. Um, Because a lot of times kids see a lack in the adults around them as a lack really in themselves. And we've talked about that before on the podcast. But to just have that reminder of, you know, even on those hard days that I'm not giving up and you're still lovable. I just can't even imagine how huge that is for him, but also for you, right? And reminding yourself why you continue to show up for somebody that sometimes is difficult to show up for. Yes. Yes. It is a great reminder, not only for him and to him, but for myself. And, and I practice that same philosophy in different ways with each child, depending on how they can receive it and how it works best for them. My nine-year-old was having a rough time over the weekend and he was able to communicate with me the feeling why it was so difficult for him, which was huge because it doesn't normally happen that quickly in the moment. We talked it through and I made sure I acknowledged it right then and there that he had kind of turned the behavior around and there was behaviors surrounding an event that was being hosted in my home. Um, During the event, I pulled him aside privately and praised him for maintaining the behavior. And then I acknowledged it um, within the immediate family that evening as we were eating dinner so that it was said in front of the other siblings because he needed to hear that I was proud of him, not just to him, but where everybody else could hear because he really, he really enjoys that. That really helps him. Um, and then I made sure to follow that up, um, the following day and just acknowledging it again, just like a bunch of positive reinforcement for the positive way he handled things. It really sounds like you're really intentional in the way that you parent right? Like you're trying to be really present in all the moments so you can see the good things that those kids are doing in your home and then remembering them and reinforcing them. I think that's really, really powerful. I really try. I am not perfect, not even close because I do things also that like probably aren't exactly right, but I really try to to stop and take a moment to point those things out. You know, it's not fair for me to stop and take a moment to point out when something isn't okay or not done right if I can't turn around and acknowledge the good thing also. I feel like generally in our world, in humanity, in society, everybody needs that. Everybody's very quick to speak up when there's a problem and not necessarily quick to speak up and acknowledge the good thing about it or the good thing that came of it. That's really huge. And um, I go to therapy, which I talk about a lot on the podcast, because I think that's really a great self-care thing to do when you're doing foster care. And it was interesting because my therapist, we just talked about receiving compliments. Actually, in our last session, I was like, a lot of times, I think sometimes I don't hear the positive things that other people are saying. And she said, when you look somebody in the eye and you give them a compliment, you know, or just touch them on the arm or whatever and help them be present. So like if people are doing that for you, like take that moment. Cause she said, actually, biologically, we're predispositioned to take in the negative much more than the positive because the negatives are a threat, right? And the positives are a threat. So your brain actually reads positives that people are giving you 
as like, oh, okay, don't need to worry about that. And it can so easily just go over our head. So what I love about what you're saying is, especially for these kids, is that you're doing it multiple times when possible, you're doing it in person and in front of other people, like these moments where you know that they're going to be hearing and best open to receiving it. I mean, how huge is that? Because then they're they're taking in those positives because they've already had to take in so many negatives, right? Or even just learning how to behave in different ways in your home where before maybe they didn't have as much oversight or whatever it was, or, you know, learning some coping mechanisms that just aren't right. going to serve them in life. I mean, that's a lot of feedback that they're having to get from you and other people in the home of, you know, we have to do things differently this way. That way is not going to work. So to also have the ways of like, oh, you know, this is when I did something that was really good and right. I could see that really turning around behaviors over time, right? It's like a trust bank yes. where they're trusting themselves more too. I think that's huge as you're teaching them how to trust themselves more and look at themselves as these good, positive people. I also see a therapist um, weekly and it is hands down the best thing that has happened. I can't even say how much it's helped me. You know, if I was giving a message to someone looking to be a foster parent or who's already a foster parent, it's like the self-care of having your own therapist to talk things through with is hands down the best thing that I've done for myself um, through this process. It's someone that I can be 1000% myself with and be really honest about, you know, if I feel like I've failed at something or I could have done something better, or maybe I thought I did something great. And she's like, well, you could have done it a little bit better. You know, it's just really like, it's a really good check for me. And I wish everyone had that opportunity that is a foster parent. And I, I wish they they could do that same thing or have this person that they could go to and kind of work things through because it's so helpful. I think that accountability piece is so big and getting that outside perspective, because like we've talked about before, too, sometimes you have so many emotions going on and to just have that second check of like, OK, yes. oh, you know, are we still on the right path here? Because I think, too, with foster care is. It's very pressurized in a way is, I guess, the best way I could describe it. So when things go off the rail, I feel like they can go off the track super quick, you know, like more quick maybe than a biological child in your home that you've had years to build a relationship with. When it starts going wrong, you really have to get the train back on the track as soon as possible. Otherwise, it can just leave. And we actually have a parenting coach through our uh, foster care agency, which was huge for us or not being parents before. And something she said that at first I didn't believe, but now I believe. She said, you know, it can get to a point where all the nurturing that you did kind of doesn't matter anymore because of some either miscommunications between you and the kid or just how they're interpreting things, maybe through a trauma brain. Like you can really lose all the progress that you've built in a lot of ways. And that to me was really frightening to hear. And it is, it is true to an extent. I don't think you know, you can lose everything necessarily. Well, I don't know, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's pretty devastating when you have, you know, a huge setback and it's exactly what you described. All of the sudden things were going okay. 
something derailed and it just spun out fast. And now you're on a completely different path and it really can damage the relationship. You know, I don't know if it can derail it completely. I haven't experienced it derailing it completely, but I definitely have experienced it being a huge setback and having to like figure out how do we get it back on track? Yeah. What are some of those creative ways in setbacks that you've had? You've shared a few, but I'd love to hear some more of those really creative ways that you found to navigate that. I think some of the other creative ways that I work with is I really rely on the therapist. I really consult all of them and tell them everything that's going on and everything that's going on in the home, not just with the child that they may be working with. Because Sometimes things have derailed with one child because of a behavior of another child and it's bringing other things up. So I think it's really helpful that they know everything that's going on. So just having really open communication with the therapist. The other thing that I have done and I'm not, this is, was not normally me. Um, sometimes if we're having a really hard time, there have been days where I just say, like, all right, we're having a really hard time right now. So we're going to put everything on pause and we're just going to go do something fun. And I don't care if the house needs to be cleaned or the floors need to be swept or laundry needs to be done. It's just pausing and going and doing something fun where we can all bond and have a good time and release the pressure. One of the things that I had a really hard time with when the kids came into the home is finding ways to exercise and stay active. It's still a struggle for me, but I used to work out at Orange Theory five or six days a week. And that was just impossible once the kids were here between the schedule and the drive and work. And it was just really difficult. And it took me several months to figure this out. But I finally went and bought a bike for myself and a bike trailer for the littles who couldn't ride their bikes to go in the bike trailer. And then the older kids have bikes. So sometimes when things are are rough or maybe I'm just in a bad mood because I woke up on the wrong side of the bed or maybe one of the kids did, we can all just stop and go outside and ride our bikes. And we've had some pretty hilarious stories along the way um, that have made things a little difficult on our bike rides. But like we've had to work together and rely on nobody but ourselves to figure it out. We were on a bike ride one day and my seven-year-old's bike chain came off. And so I had the bike flipped upside down and, you know, I have two toddlers in the bike trailer. And I had uh, my nephew with me and my nine-year-old with me and my seven-year-old. And so I have five kids with me, one adult and uh, me being the adult. And I have her bike flipped upside down and I'm trying to fix it. So that was pretty hilarious. (laughs) On a bike ride the following day, my daughter's bike chain broke. Uh, There was clearly a problem with the bike. Um, and I only had one toddler with me in the bike trailer and we were like a mile and a half from the house. And so I ended up dropping her bike off in front of the elementary school 
putting her in the bike trailer with the other toddler and pedaling home. So (laughs) there was no other choice, but I pedaled home like over a hundred pounds for like a mile and a half to get us all back home. So I definitely got my exercise in that day. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) So I've been able to just kind of find little ways here and there to make things okay and make things better and make things like not let the like stress kind of overwhelm us all of because as you can imagine, I have a pretty tight schedule um, between the kids and their appointments and my own work schedule. So really just being able to stop and say, this isn't going well, we all need a break. And just doing it. What's so big about what you're talking about too is, you know, a lot of times you're like, let's go outside, let's move our bodies. Because that mind-body connection is so strong. And I think that's such a great example too for these kids because a lot of them were taught to ignore their bodily needs, right? Yeah. To disconnect as a way to survive. But just to know that like, hey, my body's a good thing. My body is a way that I can de-stress. I mean, that's something that they can carry into adulthood as well as a way of managing stress. And I love the stories too of just like (laughs) figuring it out. Like what a great parallel. (laughs) Right. Or metaphor for foster parenting is like biking with a hundred pounds. Yeah. (laughs) Just trying to make it home and not having expected to do that before. I mean, that's perfect. That's a great image. It was great. As I was just a few houses away from my house, um, a dad down the street was kind of pulling out of his driveway and he was like, you got this mama, you can do it. And I was like, oh, I needed that so much in that moment. (laughs) because it was so hard. So it was really nice to like have a neighbor kind of like cheer me on. That's also, I think, a great metaphor for foster parenting as well, right? Is like we need yeah. those people on the sidelines. And he might yeah. not have thought twice about what he said, right? But like in that moment, that was what you really needed. You're probably right. He probably doesn't even remember it. Mm-hmm. It is something I will never forget. So at the end, I always ask, um, do you have anything to add? All the love in the world doesn't fix or diminish or take away what these kids have been through. The love does teach them stability and attachment and being able to follow through with things. Um, But you hear a lot of times like they just need love. And that's something that I learned isn't necessarily true. They need love and so much more. Love isn't always going to fix it. It's a lot of love and hard work and really intentional um, moments and parenting and time with the kids. When we have like a short-term placement, um, the kids will kind of become attached very quickly. And something I always say to them and kind of a mantra I follow is that we're going to love them and take care of them while we have them. And we're going to do our best while they're here. And so that's something I've really tried to teach the kids that are here in the home long-term or permanently, because something that's really important for me on this journey is that the kids that are in my home learn compassion. And if there's one thing that they take from my home is that they are compassionate humans towards others and they show compassion towards others. 
Nicole's story is a great example of adapting to a kid's individual needs. I love that when one approach didn't work, it didn't stop her from trying a new creative approach. I think a lot of times we can stop and stay in those defeated moments, but that's a great time to reevaluate and to reassess. She's really great about using her own resources, whether that's hers, her kids, and also her community. I definitely think that I can take a lot back from this in my life. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on that community aspect because whenever you parent in general, and especially as a foster parent, it really does take a community to do it right. And even if you aren't a foster parent, you can still make a massive difference in a kid's life. We'd like to leave you with this clip from Nicole's interview where she's sharing about some of the other MVPs in her life besides her mom. And she ends speaking with us about this with a question that you should be asking every foster parent or every foster care professional in your own life. I have a really good friend who used to work in the dependency world. And she's awesome because she'll send me an email and she schedules on my calendar every other week. Um, And she comes to my house or I go to hers with the kids. And so I know that every other week I'm going to get like a friend break. (laughs) Um, And that's really helpful to kind of have knowing that like, I'm going to see her and hang out with her. And it, it brings a little bit more like normalcy. And I feel like I get a break. My brother and sister-in-law are also amazing. And they will watch the kids or take them for the weekends. So I'm able to get breaks when I ask and when I don't ask, because they'll reach out and just say like, hey, it's kind of been a rough month. Do you need a break? (laughs) That's a wrap. And as always, we love hearing from you. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Justice Special. And be sure to visit our website, justaspecial.com, for an update on Nicole and the kids in her care and for additional foster care resources. This podcast is produced by New Media Dojo. We're so thankful for our community of supporters that makes Justice Special possible. This season of Justice Special is brought to you by Kids Crossing, a private foster care agency created by foster parents for foster parents. So Rachel, I've mentioned before on our podcast what an amazing support our home coordinator, Nicole Barnett, has been to my family on our foster care journey. Yes, tell us a little bit more. What does that look like for you all? Well, Nicole and I actually got the chance to sit down and chat about her role. So I'll let you hear from Nicole herself. So my role as a home coordinator, it can be so many things. I wear many hats. Part of my job is to make sure that the foster parents are following state and county rules. Also to be a support. So be that shoulder to cry on, be the sounding board when foster care gets really rough, which it does, um, when the kids are making me crazy, or even just be there to encourage and support in whatever way I can, letting you know you guys are doing an amazing job. Filing all the fun paperwork, keeping files on the kids, finding those resources for kids when they need certain and specific things, whether it's therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, and extracurriculars too. That's important as a kid to have sports to play or gymnastics or arts and crafts, things like that. I think the big thing that resonates with me is So our founder, Jan, something her and her husband would say was, keep your eye on the child. 
if everything else will fall into place. And that is kind of how I see my role is you as the foster parent, keep your eye on the kid and I will make sure everything else is covered. It's great to hear that we have people like Nicole supporting kids in care and their families. I couldn't agree more with you. And Nicole has even physically shown up at our home during difficult times. And she's just been an incredible support. Kids Crossing has four locations across Colorado and Denver, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and La Junta. Learn more at kidscrossing.com and tell them just a special sent you.